about slobber knock and fight ground and pound rear naked chokes plug your ears if you don't want to hear it it's coming up next another brand new episode of sucker radio this is mma fight music producer mikey ruckus and you are listening to another edition of sucker radio with your host jeremy brand be sure to catch all your mixed martial arts news and interviews and updates at www.mmasucker.com Hello, hello, we are back for another episode of Sucker Radio here on MMASucker.com. As if you didn't know that, that is probably where you are listening to this show. <laughs> it is sunny, it's beautiful, I love it here in Vancouver as well. It is NHL playoff time. My Canucks, yes, they have made the Stanley Cup playoffs. They are in the first round against the Calgary Flames, and it is awesome. Let's just keep it at that. I'm going to the game on Friday night. I'm extremely excited. Game two of the very first round. Let's hope they win. Um, speaking NHL hockey, I'm going to be talking with a guy in a little bit about some NHL hockey. This guy has his uh, ear to the beat, if you might say. He knows all things about sports. He came over from ESPN. He is none other than UFC commentator John Anik, and he will join me later in the show. Kicking things off, right off the hop, I will be joined by Mike Biggie Rhodes. This guy was released from the UFC in late 2014, December to be precise. He's going to talk to me about that, what that did to me, to, did to him mentally, as well as uh, his fight from this past weekend, which was his first outing since being released from the UFC. So we'll discuss that and much more with Mike, Mike Biggie Rhodes in a little bit. This past weekend, we saw Mirko Krokop against Gabriel Gonzaga in a rematch from a fight that happened quite some time ago. And if you don't know, now you will. Krokop absolutely obliterated Gonzaga in the very third round with TKO, elbows, strikes from the guard. He opened him up, and he made Gonzaga look like friggin' Frankenstein at the end of that fight. Krokop has not lost a rematch in his entire MMA tenure. Believe it or not, this guy has been around since I can remember. He's had plenty of rematches, and he hasn't lost any. It's a good thing that fight was the main event because the rest of this card was extremely lackluster. The only fight on the card that was interesting and that I will discuss a little bit was the women's strawweight bout between Marina Moroz and Joanne Calderwood. Calderwood was so highly touted coming into this contest off of the tough show. Um, she was knocking at the door for a title shot, and Moroz finished her via submission. She was calling out the champ, Joanna young following the fight. She got in her face. Well, didn't really get in each other's face because... Moroz was inside the cage, and Young Jacek was outside the cage. But you know what I mean. They, It's a fight that could appeal to a lot of people. So let's see if the UFC makes that happen. Um, this weekend, we have UFC on Fox 15 with another women's um, strawweight fight that could determine the next contender as well which is kicking off the main card, Felice Herrig taking on Paige Van Zandt. And Van Zandt is one of these girls that the UFC is is putting all their marbles behind. They gave her an initial Reebok deal. They 
are taking photos of her, showing that, you know, she is could be the next big thing. And she is definitely on pace to do some big things. She's also on pace to become possibly the youngest UFC champion in history, beating out John Jones for that title. Um, but we'll have to see if she can get past the veteran, Felice Herrig. Also on the UFC on Fox 15 card, returning to the cage is Cub Swanson taking on Max Holloway. Holloway was my guest last week. As always, he sounded calm. I don't know what's going to happen in this fight. It's a toss-em for me. Uh, I'm not going to make predictions. You'll have to check out the MMA Sucka staff predictions uh, later this week. Uh, The big news from uh, this past weekend... Chris Camozzi stepping in for Yoel Romero, who pulled out due to injury against Ronaldo Jacare Souza. People were upset about this one. People were surprised. They didn't know why Camozzi got another chance against Souza, but uh, that's what happened. So Camozzi steps in. He's fought him before. He'll fight him again this weekend in the co-main event at UFC on Fox 15. Now, this main event between Leota Machida and Luke Rockhold is one for the ages. It's a fight for fight fans. It's one that gets me extremely excited. And uh, each and every day I'm waking up and I'm picking a different guy. I One day I think Machida will win. The next day I think Rockhold will win. I, I discussed this with, uh, with John Anik later in the show and... And I like the way he's breaking it down, but uh, we'll have to see what happens on Saturday night with Luke Rockhold and Leota Machida. That's all I'm going to talk about, UFC on Fox 15. But another thing that happened this week, Bellator announced that they had signed the number 6 light heavyweight in the world, Phil Davis. <sighs> another... I'm not, I don't know if I should say it or not, but another guy who's been boring with the UFC, a grinding wrestler, gets released. Yes, he's a top 10 fighter, much like Yoshinokami, much like John Fitch. The next guy, Phil Davis, heading on over to Bellator. Are you surprised? Do you think he will become the next light heavyweight champion with that organization? Who knows? But it's, it's, I don't know. I don't know what to say about that one. It, it could happen. You never know. He's really good. He's great at grinding guys out. I think last week I announced that Nate Diaz would take on Matt Brown at UFC 189. Well, guess what? That fight is not happening. Diaz appeared on the MMA Hour this week, and he said that the UFC was sort of strongholding him into that fight. Well, Matt Brown announced earlier this week that that fight wasn't happening. He said on Twitter that the two of them weren't clashing. And he would have his next opponent announced in the not-so-distant future. That's all the news that I have for you guys. Uh, I hope you checked out Conor McGregor's new Tiger tattoo. A lot of people comparing that to the Frosted Flakes' Tony the Tiger. Uh, make sure you check that out if you haven't seen it already. And I'd like to thank my sponsors, ProAmBelts.com. If you need a belt, if you're an organization, get your champion a belt with ProAmBelts.com. Head on over there. They have some great deals. Every month they have some cheap belts. So check out ProAmBelts.com. And with that, I'm going to get right into my first guest, Mike Biggie Rhodes. 
Joining me now is one of my favorite guys to talk to on Sucker Radio. He just picked up a first-round knockout against Tom Angeloff this past weekend. Please welcome Mike Biggie Rhodes back to Sucker Radio. Mike, thanks for joining me today, man. Hey, man, thank you. Thank you for having me, man. I appreciate it. Now, definitely, congratulations on the big victory on Saturday, my friend. Thank you, man. It's been a long, long Long time coming. <laughs> no kidding. Now, before we get to any of that, first thing, you were released from the UFC in December after a loss to Eric Silva and three-fight losing streak. What What did that sort of do to you mentally? Man, it, it sucked, <laughs> you know. Um, I've always considered myself to be mentally tough, so I was able to deal with it, but it definitely wore on me, man, you know. Um, that's like a year, you know, three losses. Three losses, three losses. But over that time period of a year, you know, you, it's hard not to see yourself as a loser. You know, when when all you're doing is losing, and that's what was synonymous with my name at that point. So um, it took everything in me mentally um, to stay focused. And luckily, I had good, you know, I have good people around me that were able to um, help me keep my spirits up. And when I was down, they were there for me. Now you were out of action until this past weekend. Was was this your own choosing, or was it tough for you to find a fight on the regional scene? Um, really, I was hurt. You know, um, my UFC fights, I were, you know, as a fighter, you're never 100 percent healthy. So, um, I wasn't really healthy this last year either. You know, so that kind of made it even worse. You know, mentally. So, um, I took some time, healed up all the nagging injuries and. You know, I, I took my time. I didn't want to rush back into it and, and uh, you know, get another loss. So I made sure that I looked at the mistakes I made in training, and I made sure that uh, I was able to share up those holes and and grow as a fighter before uh, um, stepping back in there. Now, you, you have fought for two other major promotions. I mean, obviously, you the UFC um, as well as RFA. When you were cut from the UFC, did you search out – any offers from other major organizations out there, such as Bellator, World Series of Fighting, and whatnot? Or was it your goal to stay on the regional scene until sort of making the move back to the big show? Um, right when I got when I got cut, um, Duke told me we had a couple offers from a couple other organizations. Um, really, you know, I like those shows. You know, the RFA were, was great for me. They helped me out so much. Ed Source is a great guy. And, um, you know, those that type of thing, but um, they they just don't put on enough shows where you can stay active because they go to um, so many regions, and, and if you're not a big name or can't sell tickets, they don't really, you know, bring you along. And I, I'm, I'm the type of fighter that I want to stay busy, you know, and I want to fight, and if you sign with one of those guys, then, you know, you're stuck. You can't fight anywhere else. So um, the idea was to stay local, um, you know, get a win, and then go out there and look at the organizations, you know, like the Bellator or, or something like that, because they have the means to keep you a little bit more busy. Um, the other organizations, they, they just don't put on enough shows, but I would definitely fight for them again. I just wouldn't want to sign an exclusive deal, you know? So it, right now you're you're looking to sign with someone a little bigger than this last promotion you fought for? Um, not necessarily, man. There, there's, there's so many fight fighters and, and good fights out there. So um, I'm going to fight wherever the 
wherever the money is well and, you know, and just um, the good fight, you know. It's a lot of people outside these organizations all over that are high-level fighters. So um, it doesn't matter to me where I fight um, as long as I'm fighting good guys and because when you're beating good dudes, you know, that's the best road in the quickest road back to the UFC. Does it suck going from, from getting paid with what the UFC paid you to getting paid what you're getting paid on the regional scene? Uh, what was that? I said, does it suck going from what you were getting paid with the UFC to getting paid what you get paid on the regional scene? Um, of course, the money, man. The money is always, you know, um, little or outside the UFC for the most part, but um, I got ticket sales for this fight. You know, I'm a pretty big draw here in Milwaukee. This is my adopted city. And so um, they show me uh, great support and love. And, you know, they, they came out and bought the for me in numbers. So um, I made I made a really good amount of money in, in, in this fight. And, uh, you know, I think they enjoyed the performance and stuff. So it all just went hand in hand. Hey, and and at least you're going to be able to keep sponsors on board past July if, if you're not back with the UFC by then. I agree, man. And, Sponsors are a big part of it, you know, um, whether they're giving you money or they're giving you their services. Um, it all means a lot and works out, you know, for us fighters. So, um, you know, you there's good things about being at every level of the sport. Yeah, interestingly enough, your your first fight of your pro career was with the same organization as this last outing. Was it sort of just a natural thing to get back with them? Yeah, you know, um, they... They always put on great shows, great promotions. Um, you know, they allow you to go out and and sell tickets and and uh, you know try to make as much money as you possibly can. And um, and, and and they match up tough matchups. You know, um, there's there's no gimme fights on on those kind of show or, or on this show. So um, you know, it was just right to go out there and, and let those guys find a regional guy who was tough and you know and wanted to fight me and. That's what they went out and did. So it was just great to be able to come home and and, and fight in front of a, a, a crowd that was actually cheering for me instead of a country booing me. You know. Yeah, it looked like from from the looks of your Facebook page that you had a number of fans in the crowd with your T-shirts on. I mean, the photos on your Facebook page are amazing. Yeah, man, they bought they bought shirts. They bought you know every front row ticket for me, man. They were everywhere. They showed such great support for me and that's what kept me going man through this mental trials and tribulations of not winning and you know finally coming home and being able to fight in front of friends and family again and man it it just boosted me and lifted me up man and and i think that's why i performed so great speaking of being boosted up a little bit 2014 you said was a year without any victories inside the cage what did it what did it do to you stepping inside the cage after a four-month layoff getting in there knowing that you sort of needed to get a win? Um, you know, I, I always expect to win, so that that never changed. Um, it just it just shored up my approach, you know, and, and it just made me put everything into perspective, you know, uh, what kind of fighter I wanted to be, what kind of a fighter I am, and my mental mindset. And like, like I said, man, mentality is one of the biggest things in the sport. And if you don't have that killer instinct or that that will to win every time, man, you never will. And so that never changed for me. Win, lose, or draw, you know, um, my mentality is always the same. I am different than these other fighters because I, I feel that, you know, not to bring the animal thing into it because a lot of people say it and, you know, it's getting overused, but, 
you know, my favorite saying is there there are no packs between lions and men, and I, and I feel like, you know, I'm I'm a different kind of person, man, and being able to fight just just lets that out, and uh, that that just never changes with me, and that just keeps my confidence always high. Do you feel mentally speaking though, being cut by the UFC has made you mentally stronger? Yeah, I think it added to it, you know, because if if your road is always smooth sailing then uh, you, you, you never know who you really are until you've been through trials and tribulations, you know. And uh, they they say, you know, um, you, you, you don't know what you got until it's gone. And, and maybe I, I don't feel like I was taking it for granted while I was there, but maybe I was. You know, maybe I, I, I maybe it's something small that I was missing out on and maybe this needed to happen for me to realize that and come back stronger and, and more focused and, and get back to winning, you know. Some of the major champions, you know, Robbie Lawler is from Iowa, exactly where I'm from. He had, to, you know, he got cut. He went out and he shored up his game, and now he's the champion, you know. So um, I just draw inspiration from things like that. Yeah. Now, I know when guys are on the regional scene, they, they can be very, very active, like one fight a month, one fight every few weeks here. You, um, you know, you said you want to stay more active this year, and, and that's the reason why you don't want to sign a contract. So how many more times do you hope to get inside the cage this year, and what's is the end goal ultimately, obviously, to get back to the UFC? Um, As far as fights, man, as long as I'm healthy, um, but I am a bigger welterweight. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a guy who walks around a little bit heavy for the weight class, so... Um, that takes a toll on my body as well as dieting and, and training as hard as I do. So um, I just got to be conscious of that and, and allow my body the time to heal and, and, and the necessary time to um, get my weight down and things of that nature. So I don't want to rush. Um, but I, I would like to get, you know, uh, four or five more fights in before the end of the year. And, uh, you know, hopefully – one of those last couple fights was back in the big show, you know, if I can go out with the right opponents and um, fight some big names and, you know, knock them off track and, and get my name back out there that, you know, I might be able to step in again on short notice, you know, or even a, a Bellator, man. I, I'm not afraid to go over there and fight those guys. There's real fighters over there and there's real money over there too. So um, I'm not naive about it, man. The sport is, is very pure with fighting, but, at the end of the day, man, you got to be able to take care of uh, number one, and that's yourself. For sure, yeah, definitely. And and short notice seems like the way that a lot of these guys are getting back into the UFC. Yeah, you know the UFC owns your rights. They own, uh, you know, the rights to your your likeness and and all that stuff when you sign with them. So it's easier for them to bring someone back than it is to uh, sign someone new, especially on short notice. You know, they know what they're going to get. They know what kind of fighter you are. They know what kind of person you are. They know how to deal with you. And so um, having that relationship and, and things like that, especially if you keep that relationship on the up and up, um, you know, you're, you're, you're likely to get that second chance, that call, you know, and uh, then it's up to you to go and perform. You know, just like Chris Camozzi, look at him, man. He's right back in there. So, um, you know, the, the cut is never permanent, man. You, you just got to go out and win, and, and you win and things will work out. For sure. Now, your teammates at Rufus Sport have been fairly active as well. Ben Askren, he's fighting in a couple weeks here. But the fight that I wanted to talk about was Anthony Pettis' outing against Rafael Dos Anjos. What were your thoughts on it? Because obviously it was, you know, the busted eye at the beginning of the fight that, that played a part in, in the change of his game plan and, and the outcome of the fight. 
I won't, I'm, I'm, you know, I don't think, I don't hope people think I'm going to make an excuse for Anthony or anything like that. Um, things happen. I mean, fights, things happen in fights, and even the best guys in the world, man, they lose. And um, I still think Anthony is the best 155-pounder in the world. You know, that punch caught him. Um, that's not a lucky punch. Dos Anjos meant to punch him in the face, you know? And uh, it just happened to land in a spot that caused some damage and, you know, that's things that, as a fighter, we have to adapt and, and try to overcome. You know, Anthony showed his toughness, you know, and that's why he, he, he took, you know, he took those shots. He took those kicks. He, he fought for five rounds, you know, and at the end of the day, he still had a chance in that fight. But Dos Anjos looked very hungry. He looked like a hungry fighter. He, he looked like he wanted it. And, and that's the difference in our sport is that we don't get a hundred and something games like baseball. You know, we get one outing, one night. And, you know, a mistake can happen. And, you know, you're only as good as your last fight in the eyes of MMA fans. So um, a lot of people are down talking Anthony and, and talking crap about him. And I think those guys are idiots because he's put the best guys in the world away. Yeah. He made them look bad. And, you know, I couldn't, those signals couldn't finish him, you know. Um, he, he showed his toughness. But Anthony has finished the rest of the guys in the top of the division. So, um, I think a lot of those 55ers are being really disrespectful and uh, running their mouth now, but uh, they they won't be they don't really want to fight Anthony. You know, they just want to talk about it. Did you think he looked like himself in that outing, though? Um, no. Um, once again, though, but I'm not going to make an excuse and take away from what Del Sanos did. Of course, yes. Um, Del Sanos made you know Del Sanos made Anthony not look like Anthony. You know, as far as the fight concerning, but. He did not look like himself to me, but that's because I know him personally. I yep. see him on a daily basis. I've trained with him. I see him get in that cage, and I've seen that look in his eyes. And you know, I saw, I, I've seen that killer instinct. So for other people, they might not be able to see it, but for me, um, that's like a brother of mine. So I, I, I could see it, and I, and I can kind of tell early in the fight that um, something wasn't going right, and you know, he just didn't look himself. But um, it, it's only a matter of time before he gets the strap back. <laughs> nice. Now, another guy that's been there for a little while, uh, CM Punk. He started training with you guys at Rufus Sport. How's that going? Uh, CM Punk's a good dude, man. Um, I wasn't too big on the signing of him at first. You know, I felt a little bit disrespected and whatnot. But um, the guy is so so unbelievably humble. It. it, it it threw me off so much to meet the guy, you know, the way he came into the room and made sure he introduced himself to everyone. And before he even started training, he was watching our training sessions, trying to learn and pick up things. Um, he's in the gym before I get there. He's in the gym after I leave. He's doing one-on-one privates. He's training with us. And, you know, you got to respect the guy, man. He left millions of dollars to, to fake wrestle, you know, and, <laughs> and now he, 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 wants to, he wants to step into the octagon and test himself. Win, lose, or draw, I can never look down on a man that decides to get in that octagon. It, it, it's not for everyone. You know, everyone can sit back and talk shit about it, but only a few people have the calling to get in there and fight. And this man is, he's training his butt off to do everything to get in there and win. He wants to be a fighter. He wants to see what he's made of, and I can never disrespect or, or, or have any lack of respect for a man like that. Have you sparred with him? Yeah, 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 yeah. We haven't, we didn't spar uh, full, full goal with him yet. Um, he, he, he's still picking up on some things. Um, 
you know, it'd be detrimental for us to, you know, beat the guy up. That's not going to help him any. Um, so we spar and, you know, we help him. So we pick out things and we, we tell him things he needs to correct and things he needs to look out for. And he's real receptive and, and, and he tries, you know, and that's the number one thing is that he has grown a lot in the time that he's been with us. Nice. Now, I know his wife, A.J. Lee, recently left the WWE. Does she train at all with you guys at Rufus Sport? No, I actually haven't met her. Um, I don't know if she's still traveling or doing anything, but she has not been to the gym while I've been there. I'm not even sure if she has been to the gym. Uh, CM Punk, he drives all the way up from Chicago every day to train. So nice. So putting in hours in the car to come and train every single day. So, you know, that, that just shows his dedication right there. For sure. Now, all right, to finish off this interview, I'm going to do something that we haven't done in quite a while. It's something we like to call Sucker Rundown. It's basically a word association game. I'll give you a name, place, thing, something like that, and you just give me the first thing that comes to your mind. You ready to play? Sure, let's do it. Dana White. Very loud and very funny on Twitter, just shutting geeks down left and right. (laughs) Rufus Sport. Best gym in the world. Anthony Pettis. Flashy. Money. <laughs> the champ. Ben Askren. The best welterweight in the world. UFC. The plus said I'll be back back fighting in real soon. <laughs> CM Punk. One funny son of a bitch. <laughs> Finally, Mike Biggie Rhodes. Pending. He's pending. We don't know what to think about that guy yet. <laughs> Thanks a bunch, Mike. Just let people know where they can get a hold of you in the social media universe. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Um, you can check me out on Instagram, Twitter, uh, Snapchat. It's all the same. It's Team R O C B I G G I E. That's Team Rock Biggie. Uh, Mike Biggie Rose fan page on Facebook. And, uh,. The girls can find me on Tinder. No, I'm playing. <laughs> um, I'm out there, man. You can you can Google me, YouTube me, all that stuff, man. You can get in contact with me. I appreciate all my fans out there. Uh, don't be afraid to shoot me a message. I try and respond to them all. And uh, just remember the name. You know, I'm I'm out of the limelight right now, but trust me, I'm gonna I'm gonna come back and and you can say you're on the bandwagon. Uh, you started with me from the bottom, and you can stay with me to the top. We've always been on the bandwagon, Mike. Thanks again, man, and congratulations on this past weekend. Good luck with the rest of 2015, and, and we hope to see you back inside the octagon nearer than, than later. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. This man is a part of the UFC commentating team and is popping his sucker radio cherry. Please welcome John Anik to the show. John, thanks for joining me today, man. Oh, my pleasure, Jeremy. How you doing? All right. I'm doing great. It's beautiful. It's sunny. It's luscious up here in Vancouver. How are you? I'm doing well, man. Yeah, I saw that British Columbia show up in the cell phone, so uh, I'm jealous, man. It's beautiful up there. But no, I can't complain here in South Florida. We actually moved from Las Vegas down here uh, a couple months ago, and I do seven shows a year in Brazil, so it it certainly makes sense from that standpoint. But uh, always good to get to Canada. You know, I always say the best MMA crowds I've ever heard per capita, with all due respect to the Brazilians, uh, are north of the border in Canada. So. I'd agree with that. I mean, we, we have had some lackluster shows here recently, though. 
Well, I mean, the loudest crowd I've ever heard in MMA was UFC 113. It was uh, it was Shogun Machida 2, I believe, at the Bell Center. And I think it just really spoke to how good a place MMA was in at that time, that George St. Pierre wasn't even fighting. I think he might have been in the building, but the fact that he wasn't even fighting and the UFC could, you know, bang out that building and have that type of electricity. So we're hoping to get back there, and uh, hopefully Rory McDonald can, you know, come through July 11th and, and continue to carry the torch. Yeah, do you think if, if Rory does, does win there and he does carry the torch, do you think that'll force sort of the UFC to make some more Canadian dates? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I know it was an initiative this year, and, uh, you know, we've been there a bunch, and we haven't been there maybe as often as some had forecasted. You know, I heard some rumblings about a show in Windsor that never uh, yeah. materialized, but for sure, I mean, I think if Rory were a champion, it would only uh, lead to us doing bigger uh, and better events up there. You know, I remember being at the Rogers Center in Toronto for what was certainly an historic event at the time that that went down. But yeah, you know, I feel like with George St. Pierre, he just had this ability to reach people, uh, you know, across all demographics and obviously across the entire nation. And I think Rory, uh, in a different way, can reach those people. I think with him, it's largely going to be about his fighting, uh, you know, more so than any mass appeal, uh, you know, with his smile or being a great brand ambassador. But I think that's great, you know, in this sport. I mean, that's the last dude I'd ever want to be stuck in an alley with, and he's probably (laughs) the first guy I would want on my side in a street fight, you know. So, uh, I've long, you know, had him in that conversation with Chad Mendez as the best UFC fighter currently not holding a championship belt. And whether it happens against Robbie Lawler July 11th or it happens at some point later in 2015 or in 2016, it is, it's not an if, it, it's an eventuality. Rory McDonald eventually will have that belt around his waist. I like it. I like it. Now, as I said, this is your first time on Suck Radio, so let's take it back a little. How did a guy who got a degree in political journalism end up calling fights? Yeah, well, it's a good question. You know, it's funny. I was at Gettysburg College in Pennsylvania. I knew I wanted to study journalism, but I also knew that I was going to have to step outside of Pennsylvania in order to do that. So basically, I was majoring in political science, and it just wasn't floating my boat. You know, I was taking English classes, a little media stuff, but I was going to be a poli-sci major, and that wasn't going to get me where I needed to be. So long story short, I created a special major that you know, had one semester at American University in Washington, D.C. that was completely immersed in journalism. And that was, you know, coupled with some English classes, some media classes, some political science classes. And, and basically, you know, I think I wrote a senior thesis, uh, how the media undermines American democracy. And I couldn't even tell you how, you know, 15 years removed. Yeah. <laughs> but um, basically, you know, I knew I wanted to get into sports journalism, always sort of thought I'd maybe end up as a sports writer, but was, you know, thankful to be able to make the transition to radio and eventually TV, but never really wanted to be a politician. So I was thankful to sort of, uh, you know, be able to carve out that major and, and certainly help me, you know, after college. Now, you, you've been with the UFC for a few years now. We, we know the sport is still evolving. So with that said, what's the biggest change you've seen over the past few years um, being on the inside? It would have to be just the size of the UFC roster and the number of shows the UFC is doing and the trickle-down effect that that has across the entire promotion. You know, it's funny when I hear people say that they want Joe Silva's job or Sean Shelby's job, and I think they maybe understand some of the difficulties that come with it, whether it's, you know, cutting fighters or trying to convince a fighter to take a fight, but just the sheer volume, you know, and how many fights and shows these guys are charged with putting together. That's my biggest takeaway. I remember when we started MMA Live at ESPN, 
back in 2008, you know, maybe this roster was at 250. And now I think it's approaching, if not exceeding 600. So that's my biggest takeaway with how things have changed. And I remember, you know, when, when Dana White introduced me at a press conference when I got hired at UFC 137 back in 2011, I said then what I'll say now that I just didn't want to get in the way of this well-oiled machine. And I guess if you want to, you know, incorporate the first-hand experience, maybe I didn't know just how well-oiled it was because to be able to essentially double your show volume uh, over two and a half or three years and sort of not miss a beat, uh, I think, speaks to just how many talented people they've brought in in all the various different departments. Uh, it's a huge undertaking doing 45 shows a year. And, you know, candidly, I'm surprised more doesn't go wrong. It's really just a tribute to, you know, all the people behind the scenes. Something that I wanted to ask you, I was told by Bleacher Report's Jeremy Botter, when you came on board with the UFC, you requested tapes of each and every fighter saying their name so that you knew exactly how to pronounce them. And are you surprised at all that 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 wasn't being done before with guys like Joe Rogan and Mike Goldberg? And where did this tactic come from? Well, you know, when I showed up at ESPN, uh, God, so many years ago, maybe 2005, 2006, they had a pronunciation guide for every sport, and it was a huge asset, but it was still phonetics, you know, so phonetics can still be open to interpretation. So really, until you have athletes saying their name to tape, you know, I know one of the networks does it with their National Football League introductions where the guys say their name and where they went to high school or college. But short of having these guys and and these women say their names, uh, you're really not going to have 100% accuracy. So it was certainly a big initiative of mine when I started with the UFC was, you know, is it Stipe Miocic or is it Stipe Miocic? How do we pronounce this guy's yeah. name? And I do believe in this first one or two UFC fights, he was Stipe Miocic. And, <laughs> you know, I never really cared how people pronounced my name sort of in any walk of life. And I think for a lot of these fighters, maybe they didn't really care uh, until the stakes are raised and they're in big fights and their family and friends are watching. And maybe they're being called Josh Salmon, you know, instead of Josh the man. And it, and it bothers them, you know. But, yeah, I guess for me it was just something that I inquired about early on. And I wouldn't, you know, point any fingers at anybody. I don't think it was a fault of anybody organizationally. I just think as we've grown and brought in different people, you know, from different backgrounds, uh, we've sort of strengthened our overall production. So, you know, if I was a small part of, you know, the pronunciation initiative, then I'm, I'm happy to help. And, dude, it certainly makes it a lot easier when, uh, you know, I have an avalanche of tweets after a show that say, you mispronounced this name, yeah. I can, you know, listen to that audio file on iTunes and know that I pronounced it exactly the way the fighter wanted me to. No kidding. So, I mean, you, you took this from ESPN. It's something that you brought on board. How much have you taken away from what Joe Rogan and Mike Goldberg have done in the past? And obviously you've brought some stuff on board as well. Yeah, I mean, certainly uh, one of the first things Dana White said to me was that we're not hiring you to be Mike or Joe, we're hiring you to be yourself. So I have tried to stay true to myself, but there's obviously a lot you can learn from those guys. They both have a dynamic quality to the way they broadcast. Uh, And obviously they've been doing this for years. You know, this was an opportunity, candidly, Jeremy, that I didn't think was really ever going to materialize, you know, to be able to call, you know, 20 UFC shows a year. They were an institution and they had called every UFC show that I ever watched. So I never really thought, you know, I guess short of mass expansion, uh, which is, of course, what's transpired, that there would be this type of opportunity. So, you know, I knew after doing Bellator in 2009 that I wanted to get back to calling mixed martial arts in some capacity, but I just sort of had to bide my time at ESPN doing some college football and some boxing. And, And thankfully, 
as my contract was coming up, there was a UFC opportunity. But, you know, you really have to stay true to yourself. I think so many broadcasters and play-by-play guys in particular feel like they're sort of misunderstood and, and people don't always get a great grasp as to who they are, you know, outside of work uh, because they think that, you know, everything we're doing on the broadcast is a direct reflection of, you know, the way we live our lives. So it's a, a constant learning process, uh, and I certainly have learned a lot from those guys and, and will continue to. Do you feel it was a bit of a weight off their shoulder having you guys come on board and, and sort of take away some of what they were doing? Yeah, I think so, for sure. I mean, I don't know how anybody could keep up with this travel schedule and not say that it affects them profoundly. You know, uh, whether it's the radiation from flying, which is no good for you, uh, or the jet lag or everything that that comes along with spending 90 or 100 nights in a hotel, I think for sure uh, for them, I think, you know, it it can only be a performance enhancer, I think, when you're spending more time at home and less time uh, on the road. And I really don't know. The nature of our show is such, Jeremy, that I don't think you can do, you know, 35, 40 of these a year because it's not a a two-and-a-half-hour college basketball game. It's a seven-hour broadcast oftentimes that has 13 fights to it, and oftentimes it's happening, uh, you know, in a completely different country or continent, uh, and there's travel involved and everything that goes along with it. So, yeah, I think it was a little bit of a of a weight lifted for them. And, you know, maybe for Joe, the ability to sort of pick and choose, you know, on some of the even higher profile shows has sort of helped him, um, you know, to pursue other endeavors uh, in his life. And obviously he's about as busy and accomplished a man as we have in mass media right now. So, yeah, I think it was uh, was helpful for them. And, you know, for us, we really didn't, I mean, at least for, for me and Kenny Florian, we were just excited for the opportunity. We didn't maybe necessarily foresee that it would be an even split and that we would be doing, you know, half, if not more than half of the shows. But uh, we're certainly thankful that the opportunity surfaced. For sure. Now let's talk some fights. This past weekend, we saw Miracle Krokop finish Gabriel Gonzaga. Uh, what a fight that was. With that, I wanted to ask you, not what your favorite fight you called was, because that's sort of obvious. I'm, I'm sure you've gotten that a lot. But what's a fight that you wish you could have called from the past? Well, you know, Brian Stan, who I do about half of, of my assignments with, uh, had the chance to call UFC 179, Jose Aldo, Chad Mendez, too. And I don't know, you know, I mean, I know that recent memory is sort of a powerful thing when it comes to great MMA fights, but I can't recall seeing a better fight in my life in the UFC than Aldo Mendez, too. So I remember I was a little tipsy, but I was watching on my <laughs> iPhone on UFC.tv in a hotel room at a wedding. I left the wedding so I could watch the main event, and I was just blown away, jaw-dropped, watching that fight. And I thought Goldie and and Stan called it near perfectly. So that was a fight that I wish I had had the opportunity to call, I guess, maybe because Stan was there. But, you know, all the big fights, you know, uh, I mean, all our main events are outstanding, but a lot of big fights obviously happen on pay-per-view and on Big Fox. And, uh, you know, I just got to position myself to be ready if there's an opportunity, uh, you know, that materializes. And that's really the way I focus. You know, even sitting around here in Florida this week, I know I'm not calling Machita Rockhold this weekend, but, you know, I'm borderline prepared to if I need to hop on a plane and do it. And that's sort of the way that I approach it. And, you know, hopefully bigger assignments will come my way in the years to come. Let's talk that fight. Luke Rockhold, Leota Machida. It could easily be a number one contender outing. How do you see that fight going down? Because both these guys are, are rather elusive. They're both flashy. They both have what could be knockout power. It's going to be a great fight. 
yeah, I mean, when you get a fight like this, uh, I'm just a fan, and I, I kind of want to ask you what you're thinking of the fight because, you know, I've sort of given my opinion a bunch over the course of this week. You know, I, on our new podcast, I, I predicted Luke Rockhold to finish Leoto Machida with strikes, and I think I just have, have been so impressed with what Luke Rockhold has done, and I feel like, you know, maybe he hasn't emerged as a superstar because of, of that Vitor Belfort fight in 2013 when Vitor was knocking everybody's head off left and right, and that was sort of an appreciable setback for Luke Rockhold. The fight didn't last very long. I remember seeing him after the fight. He was just so disappointed, and it just wasn't really a true indicator of just how elite Luke Rockhold is. And, you know, I think for a lot of us, when we look at this middleweight division right now, and you look at the next, you know, three or four challengers for Chris Weidman, I mean, Vitor Belfort, uh, potentially a rematch with Leota Machida, Luke Rockhold, Jacare Souza hanging there in the balance. You know, this division, 85, has never uh, been stronger. And I think for me, the dream fight is Rockhold Weidman as far as how he gets it done against Machida. Obviously, it's easier said than done. You know, he seems to be staying and doing all the right things. I think both of these guys are super relaxed. I don't think either of them is going to be to letting the moment get the better of them. I, I guess I just feel like a lot of people point to Machida's experience and discount what Luke Rockhold did to guys like Jacare and Tim Kennedy, who, yeah. who nobody is lining up to fight. So I don't think that Luke Rockhold is, is really up against it when it comes to championship-level experience. He's fought five rounds, so I just feel like he's the more electric finisher. He's the younger, fresher fighter. To me, I'll normally lean in that direction. Uh, I think he deserves the distinction as a flight favorite, which is what he's getting right now from Las Vegas. And as much as I, as much respect as I have for Machida, and as much as I'd love to see him get back to that Weidman rematch, I think Luke Rockhold becomes a superstar Saturday night on Fox. Yeah, I, I, you said, asked me how I, I was going to see this fight go down, and I, I don't know. <laughs> I wake up every day this week, and, and it's, it's been a different pick. I've, I've seen it go down in many different ways, and the only thing that I have to say is that it's definitely going to be exciting. Yeah, I think it's pretty bulletproof. You know, we're we're getting ready. I was just voicing actually today, Steve Miocic and Mark Hunt fighting in the main event in Adelaide, Australia. And yeah. you know, when we start voicing these shows three or four weeks out and then you sort of really get excited for the matchup, that one in particular, it just seems like something special is gonna happen in Adelaide, Australia. I don't know how you can put Mark Hunt and Steve Miocic in an octagon, close the door and not have have something <laughs> special happen. I feel the same way about Machida and Rockhold. I really do. I mean, I get chills just talking about it. And, you know, we're on the road so much doing this job that when I do get a rare weekend off when I'm not calling fights or working the desk, to just be able to sit back and have a beer and watch Machida Rockhold is, is about as good as it gets for me. So I'm excited to see how it plays out. I don't think it's going the distance. I think both of these guys are going to get after it. And one way or the other, I think one of these guys is getting TKO'd, and, and I think we'll have a new number one contender. You spoke about Jacare Souza. What were you surprised when you heard that Chris Camozzi was the guy to step in? Well, we know Chris Camozzi has been trying to get back in the UFC. You know, this will be his third UFC stint, so yep. he had already been cut once before and worked his way back, and then he had a nice little UFC winning streak before running into Jacare Souza that, of course, resulted in him losing, I think, four in a row and another pink slip. But he stays on Joe Silva's radar. He stays active. He wins outside the UFC, and he wants to fight the elite guys. So that is sort of a recipe for opportunity. And, you know, I think in this landscape, uh, Donald Cerrone gets a lot of credit for it, Max Holloway, Benson Henderson, but we're put on 45 shows a year. So for the guys who are currently signed to the roster, 
you know, you got to be ready 35 or 40 weeks a year, and that's not the way the landscape was. I'm not even sure that's necessarily the way that it should be because it's not necessarily fair to the fighters. But I remember, you know, working the desk for that Boston show in January with Gilbert Melendez. He said he was inspired by Donald Cerrone and felt like maybe he needed to keep himself, you know, fight ready 35 or 40 weeks a year so that when Benson Henderson needs an opponent, you know, he's ready to hop on Twitter and seize that opportunity. So power to Chris Camozzi for doing it. All of that said, again, I mean, Jacare Stoza, who knows, he might be the best middleweight in the world right now, 4-0 in the UFC and hasn't really had a bad moment thus far. So uh, he's just, you know, he's getting older. You know, Rockhold's 30, I think Jacare's 35. So the time has got to be now for Jacare. And obviously it's disappointing for him to not be fighting Yoel Romero. But, you know, I expect a relatively quick night at the office for him. And hopefully he can turn around quickly because injuries, you know, obviously have sort of stunted his progression, at least when it comes to getting that title shot. Yeah. So moving away from those fights, you and your sidekick there, Kenny Florian, you spoke about it a few minutes ago. You you guys have a podcast out, ironically called Anik and Florian Podcast. Interesting. <laughs> um, it seems like everyone, their brother's dog, you know, these guys are all coming out with podcasts these days. So what made you guys decide to do one? Well, hopefully uh, somebody can come up with a better name for us because, you know, if I was a solo act, anecdotes is easy enough, but we haven't come up with a creative name. So, you know, it might be AFL, Anakin Florian Live, if we can do it live every week. We do need a, a more creative name, though. I'll certainly give you that. But, <laughs> you know, we've been talking about doing this for, for probably almost two years now. I mean, my background is in radio. It's a medium that I miss greatly and always sort of wanted to get back to. But I don't love doing solo radio. You know, a lot of the national radio that you hear on ESPN Radio and, and in other spots is, is one solo act. And that was never really what I felt made radio fun. So obviously Kenny was, was an easy uh, choice for me, and, and thankfully he was willing to do it. And again, it's just sort of a, a way for us to, I think, have a, a longer form outlet than calling fights uh, where we can sort of get a little bit of our opinions and personalities out there and bring in some guests from the non-MMA world as well and also just have fun and talk to fans. You know, one of the truly great things about MMA, obviously, is the fans and the interaction we have on Twitter. Well, now two hours every week, we can take live phone calls with fans. And uh, so I guess in a small part, able to sort of give back to the fans that have really been great to us and also you know, just enjoy what has always been, you know, my favorite uh, medium in all of sports media. And TJ DeSantis at the back burner, that guy definitely knows what he's doing. Yeah, he's outstanding. You know, he came to me uh, a few weeks before we launched and, and was really interested in being a part of it. And you're right. I mean, he's the best in the business, great producer, and has really helped us get off the ground. Without him, this thing probably wouldn't have got off the ground. You know, Kenny and I are on different coasts, which makes it a little bit challenging here right out of the shoot, but thank God for TJ DeSantis, absolutely. I said I was from Vancouver. It's hockey playoff time. I'm a diehard Canucks fan here. Unfortunately, it's been tough at times. Um, got any playoff predictions? So Canucks, well, they got the Flames in round one, is that right? Yep, the Flames in round one. All the Canadian teams are in the playoffs because I wouldn't really consider Toronto you know, a Canadian team. Amazing, man, what those Maple Leafs fans are dealing with right now. I don't even think I can go there. You know, obviously we're disappointed uh, that the Bruins sort of spit the bit down the stretch there, but hey, they won a Stanley Cup in 2011. Hey, hey, you know, hey, I would hey. just stay off the top. <laughs> I would say off the top. Oh, God, I share. That's right. Of course, it was in Vancouver, and that was really <laughs> probably low, low of me. I wasn't even thinking. But, 
you know, I, I remember I was I was at ESPN at the time, and we I think I paid the mo- the most I've ever paid for a ticket was to see Game Six of that Stanley Cup Final at the TD Garden, knowing full well that they couldn't wrap up the Cup that night and had to go all the way back to Vancouver to win it. But thankfully, that played out the way it did. But I just feel like you know, like everybody else, the playoff hockey is the best television pretty much in all of sports, and and that winning a Stanley Cup is so far and away the hardest pro sports championship to win. I mean, what the Bruins or any team had to do over 25 or 26 playoff games compared to, you know, winning a Super Bowl, I mean, it's just completely night and day. So I have a lot of respect for any team that runs the table. You know, as far as predictions, I kind of like the Anaheim Ducks, even though a lot of people are picking Winnipeg to beat them in the first round. But if you're looking for maybe a dark horse, uh, and I don't even know if I can call them a dark horse, but I do like Anaheim out of the West, kind of like Tampa Bay uh, out of the East. But I don't know, man. The Bruins fan in me thinks that it's the (laughs) half chance to finally break through and obviously when price is on he's the best in the game and if he gets some support you know i do i'm, I'm not agreeing with the with the experts who say that ottawa is going to upset montreal in the first round i think the Habs are going to make a run i think they'll beat the rangers if they meet up and uh i guess i'll say montreal and anaheim in the final and i'll say the canadians won it all that's a good pick uh one of my co-workers is a big big montreal fan so I don't really like that, but <laughs> I think <laughs> well, I think hey, th- me as a Bruins fan, I mean, I, that's the last thing that I want to see happen. But I just feel like they've been sort of colossal playoff underachievers in recent times, and I just feel like they're due to break through. Yeah, if Carey Price plays well, they they definitely have that chance. I think the dark horse could be Detroit. Yeah. Yeah, I think any time, you, you know, when you're talking about the Red Wings and, and the Penguins, I guess, to a lesser extent, because I don't think anybody has great expectations for them this year. But these historically great teams, you know, all you got to do is get in. And exactly. That's why that's why in Boston, we were just hoping the Bees could somehow get in, because, you know, obviously the, the Canadians beat the Bruins one year when, when the Bruins were a one seed and the Canadians were an eight seed. We would have loved to have returned the favor, but wasn't meant to be. I, I wish your Canucks all the best, and you know it's exciting to me to have all the Canadian teams in it, and maybe one of them will actually uh, hoist Lord Stanley's Cup. Yeah, because I mean, once the playoffs start, it's it's pretty much anyone's game. Yeah, it really is. It is such a unique sort of format, and you know, not to say that regular season NHL hockey isn't you know compelling on TV, but it is just amazing. I just. You know, I didn't play hockey growing up, but growing up in New England, it was obviously a huge deal. And just how every puck is contested, it's yeah. just the, the will and the desire of these guys. You know, I think it is some shades of mixed martial arts a little bit, just how badly these guys want it, you know, from game one of, of the first round all the way through the cup finals. So, yeah, I'm excited, man. I don't get to watch with two little girls as much as I'd like to, but uh, you can be sure that anytime you know, I'm on the road in a hotel room prepping scripts that I'll have the Stanley Cup playoffs on. Finally, I have to ask... What made you grow out the hair? <laughs> well, so I, I've been shaving my head, thickening it bald, pretty much every five days since I was like 16 years old. And my twin brother has had a different appearance. Usually, uh, you know, he's an actor, so he's had hair, uh, you know, down to his shoulders and beyond. Um, but, you know, he's always been on me to grow out my hair, as has Kenny Florian, just because I'm on TV. They feel like <laughs> if you have hair and you're not losing your hair and you're on television, the shaved head just doesn't work. And I never I never disagreed with them that the shaved head didn't work on TV, but I didn't really care. It was me. I was comfortable. I was confident. And I just felt like I wasn't really worried as much with how I looked as I was with how I sounded and how I did the job. Uh, but I finally relented. I moved to Florida. My twin brother was all over me. So I had about a month off. I grew it out. And uh, 
I don't know, Jerry. I don't know what to tell you, man. The ladies seem to uh, just think it makes me look younger, uh, even <laughs> though my hair's white, which I don't really understand how white hair makes you look younger. But uh, it's here to stay, at least for, for, for the near future. But, man, I can't wait to shave my head. It drives me crazy. I look in the mirror. I want to fight myself. He is UFC commentator John Anik. Man, it's been a pleasure. And uh, just let people know where they can keep up with you in the social media universe. Well, thanks very much. Hopefully, you can listen to the new podcast. Keep listening to Jeremy. But if you got time for one more, you can follow us at Anik Flory and Todd. And if you have any ideas as to how to name the podcast, please let us know there. You can find me on Twitter at, at John underscore Anik. And again, just appreciate you know all the support uh, from Canada and beyond. It really sort of keeps us going and means a lot to us because there there is a lot of negativity in the MMA space, and it's always nice for me to sort of have that fan interaction and have that support. So so thank you all for listening tonight and uh, look forward to talking to you, I guess, from Adelaide, Australia next month. Awesome. Thanks again, John. Have a good one. Thanks, Jeremy. My pleasure. John Anik popping his sucker radio cherry, as I said. it's That was fun. I, I, I was It was interesting to hear his take on uh, coming into the UFC, bringing what he had with ESPN and, and whatnot, and and sort of learning from the guys once he got there. I, I really enjoyed that, and I thank him for being on the show. I thank my other guest, Mike Biggie Rhodes, who's making the climb back to hopefully being back inside the UFC in the not-so-distant future. So thank you to them. Thank you to you guys for listening. It was a good show this week. I had a lot of fun with it. Uh, make sure you follow MMA Sucker on Twitter at MMA Sucka. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash MMA Sucka. Follow myself on Twitter at JeremyBrand604. And I'd like to just give a shout out to my sponsor, ProAmBelts.com. These guys have the best belts on the market. If you're looking for a championship belt for your organization or anything else, like the beer room, uh, the man cave, uh, to wear around your waist when you go to the club. You never know. You might want a championship belt. So yeah, check out ProAmBelts.com. And with that, I'm out. It's the radio, it's the, it's the radio, sucker, sucker radio. Come and listen, it's about that time. Yes, download the show or you can stream online. It's the radio, it's the, it's the radio, sucker, sucker radio. It's the radio, it's the, it's the radio, sucker, sucker radio. It's the radio, it's the, it's the radio, sucker, sucker radio. Come and listen, it's about that time. Yes, download the show or you can stream online. Else.